You're listening to a podcast by Oak Magazine. I would like to acknowledge the Dja Wurrung people as the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was recorded. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to A Friend of Mine, a series of conversations with some incredible and inspiring women in business from regional and rural Australia. I'm Kimberly Finesse your host and the founder and editor of Oak Magazine. And I cannot wait to introduce you to some amazing female entrepreneurs who will share with you their experience and knowledge of what it takes to start, grow and scale a successful business. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. We speak about miscarriage and for some this may be difficult to listen to. If so, you might want to skip this episode or move through it mindfully. Nikki Davey is a co-founder of Grown Not Flown, a digital platform supporting the slow flower movement to reduce flower miles, boost local economies, and showcase the best our flower industry has to offer. Launched in 2021 during the pandemic, Grown Not Flown started as a social media platform, showcasing and promoting local farmers growing seasonal blooms. It quickly morphed into an app to facilitate an easier connection between growers and consumers. Grown Not Flown now boasts over 500 growers on the app and is in 14 different countries. There is nothing slow about its growth. Nikki lives with her partner in Glenmore, a small rural hamlet in Victoria, and was this year named a Victorian finalist for the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award. Nikki shares with us the startup phase of Grown Not Flown, why it's important to know where our flowers come from, her recent learning of what it means to be neurodivergent, as well as her personal story of miscarriage. Now meet my friend, Nikki from Grown Not Flown. Hello, Nikki, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Kimberly. It's good to be here. It's good to have you. And again, uh, we were in person only a couple of weeks ago in Canberra. I mean, we could have done it then, couldn't we? <laughs> no, you were way too busy. And a huge congratulations again for National Runner-Up. That's an amazing achievement. And I can't wait to see where Oak goes from here. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. It's actually, um, it's it's been really special to share the experience with you because we were both um, one of three finalists for Victoria. And I mean, that's probably where we should kick the whole conversation off is sort of how we've met and our process through the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award. Um, So do you want to take me back? Because it was almost last year that we submitted our applications. Um, Why did you submit yours? Like, what was it that you thought, I'm going to give this a crack? Yeah, so at the time, I probably this isn't probably a great a great story, but at the time we were a self-funded startup at Grow Not Flown and so we were looking for any sort of funding opportunities and so with the AgriFutures Rural Women's Awards, I'd seen it and that there was this $15,000 bursary and I thought that would actually make a huge difference to um our, being able to market our platform and, and get the word out there. I actually wanted to apply for it for on my cousin's behalf, on Jade's behalf, my co-founder. But then when I saw the questions, I realised very quickly I would have to apply for it for myself. So I wasn't actually able to apply for it on Jade's behalf because of the 
um, I guess, the personal nature of a lot of the questions and the achievements and uh, what it was that you were looking to sort of do in the future. And um, I wasn't going to be able to answer those on Jade's behalf. And so I submitted the application under my own name. And then you became one of three finalists, which is such an incredible feat. Like that whole process is not easy. I mean, there's lots of interviews and um, sort of as you've touched on, you actually have to be your own cheerleader. Yes, it was exceptionally confronting, I'm going to say, to actually go through that process as well. And I have grown hugely from and benefited hugely from actually going through that. It made me take a moment, I guess, to sort of really stop and think about what it was that we wanted to achieve, where we wanted to go, how we were going to get there. But also, I am someone that has a tendency to talk in we's. Um, and so, it was also learning how to change that vocabulary from we to I um, as part of that process. But yeah, it, it, it's been incredible to to move through those different stages. I didn't actually even expect to make it through to beyond the first phone interview. Um, so then to be um, invited back as part of the second round of interviews was even that alone. I thought that that was a huge achievement. I actually love how you mentioned that you had to focus more on I than we because that's such a default, isn't it? Like I, I know that I do it in my own business. I go, um, oh, like we're doing this and we're doing that when really the team consists of me. Yeah, <laughs> where you are the team. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean I wear lots of different hats and maybe different yeah. personalities with those hats I think. But um, uh, look, I think that's a default for so many women is just to, to fall back on we and, and sound bigger than we are or yeah, or not, not. I don't know, or just don't think that I is enough. I don't know. Yeah, do it's an interesting convers. It's an interesting thought and conversation, isn't it? Because I think that there's a a level of protection in in sort of saying we as opposed to as opposed to I, or or that you feel less exposed when you say we. Um, or, you you know, I guess that there's that sort of age-old tall poppy syndrome in Australia. You don't want to get cut down for being too outspoken or too big. I think as women, we are so conscious of being too loud, too aggressive, too anything, you know. And so it, it is just, I think, a default for us to talk as we's because – then you as a person aren't too big, too much, yeah. yep. too loud, too forward. Oh, my God. I agree 100%. Everything that you said, I'll just copy and paste. <laughs> and pop my byline on that. Um, <laughs> one of the things I was thinking about our experience, because as Vic finalists, we actually got announced really early. Um, I mean, we were announced, I think, back in March, which seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah. Uh, but one of the first things we did was um, some media training. Like yes. When I think back of my experience as a Vic finalist, it was the media training that I enjoyed the most. It was probably one of the first times that we all met each other. So yourself, Deb, who was our other finalist, um, yeah, and myself, that was the first time we met. How did you find the media training? Yeah, I thought the media training was amazing as well. And, and you're right, it was the first time we all came face to face with each other and um, had an opportunity to have a little bit of an informal chat and introduce our different projects and, and meet each other. And I found um, the media training really, really helpful in 
how to tackle or structure um, or move away from any of those uh, topics that might be considered a little too sort of controversial or that you're not necessarily wanting to cover off, but still tell your story without having to um, answer questions that, that maybe aren't beneficial to you or aren't isn't the story that you want to you want to tell yeah yep and that that is such an important point that we don't have to feel when we have a media opportunity um and this is coming from a journalist as well never feel like you have to actually answer that question um yeah (laughs) and look sometimes we know that you haven't answered it sometimes we don't we're so looking for the segue of the next that we don't realize it or we'll actually ask it in another way. And then again, you just keep deflecting. Um, yeah. But yeah, oh my God, Wendy, who was our media trainer, absolutely incredible. It was probably at that minute that I'd picked the winner, I thought. Um, I had zoned in on someone's story um, and absolutely loved what you do. And I think um, even in the media training, I was like, okay, can we feature your story through Oak? Like I would really love to to talk to you more about um, Grown Not Flown. Um, I think it's incredible what you do. And um, I suppose fast forward a, a few weeks and, yeah, we're all in Melbourne uh, for the announcement, which was um, exciting. But at the same time, we only are, were allowed 10 people, which was, um, yeah, it was yeah. tiny. Good old COVID. <laughs> yeah, we were, very, we were very nervous about getting another – another snap lockdown, I guess, as well. And, um, and Kimberly, I was the same. I feel like the moment that I heard your story as well, I was like, that's that that, I know the winner. Yeah. See, no. And I've just have not thought that throughout the whole thing. I'm like, I'm just a magazine and, and, you know, I, I need to work on my self-belief in that sense that it, it is more than a mag. And I think deep down, I know that it does, um, a lot of things. But when I hear personal stories of why you're doing what you're doing, I think of the big scale, um, the impact that you're having on an industry. I think, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, we'll talk, a, we might as well talk a little bit more about Melbourne and then we'll switch into yeah. actually what your business is because we haven't spoken about it yet. But um, Melbourne was really exciting. You know, we got down and we got to see each other face to face. And one of the reasons why I joined um, or why I submitted my application was I wanted to be part of the alumni. And we had drinks beforehand, um, before the official announcement. And it was at that table that I suddenly realized that this alumni is actually a real thing. Like Maz, um, Catherine Marriott, she was opening doors and connecting and have you met and have you talked to. Um, Did you realize that as well? Yeah, I and Maz is phenomenal as well. I really feel as though she's taken me under her wing. I don't know whether you feel the same way and and they just – constantly connecting and just have you met this person have you met this person this is Nikki from Grown Not Flown you know this is Kimberly from Oak and you should connect and you should have a conversation and it was really really incredible but I I definitely agree with you it was the first moment that I realized actually this is pretty special these women are pretty incredible and you can just you can feel how much they cared for and supported each other and wanted each other to succeed and to see rural women have their voices heard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One other thing I found, I must say, like at that, I, again, went in with no expert. I actually drove there thinking, oh, my God, I wish I didn't have to go. Like I wish they just <laughs> announced the bloody winner. Tell us that, you know, Nikki's won and then I don't have to go to this thing. <laughs> I've got work to do and like I literally <laughs> was in the zone. Anyway, so I got to those drinks and just thought, well, 
I might as well drink. Um, it, it's really nice. Moscato. Well, they didn't have Moscato, but anyway, they had something <laughs> just as sweet. Yeah. And um, which probably says a lot for the rest of the night. But anywho's, I found at that table, um, the conversation was quite open and free flowing. Like, you know, yeah. even Maz was, it was sharing stories and Sarah was, and um, I think it was Anna. I could be wrong um, for the other name, but even yourself, Nikki, like what we actually didn't realize at the time was you were going through a your own personal issues um, and you let us in on that just a little bit, and I, which I applaud you because at the end of the day we were, you know, six strangers sitting at a table, you know, in the middle of the city. Yeah, I think um, I think as well it was I'm a very open and, and transparent person as well and I, and I genuinely believe in sharing stories to be able to um, – help each other and or be able to sort of if if you can just provide a little bit more information to somebody else who might not sort of know then it can do wonders but um at the time I had just recently had a miscarriage so we it was that it was the same week that we were doing the final interviews. I was 11 weeks pregnant. So I'd had my first scan, seen the baby's heartbeat, feeling very excited, getting ready to, you know, feeling like we were only days away from that safe, um, that safe stage where you can start to sort of share your news with the wider world. And um, the same week that I had my final interview and then we had the media training I started to spot and then I um I actually lost the found out I lost the baby on the Friday and so there were the, the media release went out I think on the Thursday um so I wasn't physically emotionally mentally in a very good space and I um and I, I know when we were doing the awards ceremony as well I was still quite broken but um I knew that it was important to 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 show up and to meet you know meet yourself and meet Deb in person and and to to continue through the process but it was yeah it was an incredibly tough time for myself and for my partner Sam and I suppose for our our friends and family around us who just we were all hurting but in in different ways in different ways yeah yeah and that I think that's really important to say isn't it that everyone does hurt but they do hurt in different ways yeah. and they do show it in different ways as well. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to, I do want to say that you and I have had the conversation before we've actually, I haven't just jumped on yes. this question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just so those think, oh my God, that just come out of nowhere. <laughs> um, yeah. Just to make sure that you were comfortable and, and yeah. it, you sort of said you want to share the story because of your, I'm going to say misconception yeah. of, you know, what is required of us as women um, who have a miscarriage. Yeah. And I, and I just didn't know. And I think, and I, you know, anything I knew about miscarriage um, had sort of come from movies or TV shows where, um, you know, people just seem to be okay. They just seem to get on with their life. And so I was sort of, when I was going through the process, I had three really large bleeds. I was bed bound for four days, wasn't able to move or, or really do anything. And on that fifth day, I went back to work. I did it. I could barely, I could barely sit or stand, but I didn't know that it was okay to rest. I didn't know that it was actually expected of me to rest. And, um, and 
whenever I tried to, I suppose, look up information on what the process was or how long it would take me to heal, I found it really difficult to find information. And I think it's probably because a lot of um, maybe potentially, you know, like I just didn't have the right resources or I wasn't able to find the right information. But I also think a lot of women that are probably at that same level, at that same period that I was at would tend to go in and have an operation that would help um, the, I don't want to say the body to heal quicker, but it would, it would help with that process. Um, there's still a long healing process that happens as a result of it, but I just, I didn't know. And, you know, um, the moment I stopped and I'm sorry for being graphical, um, too graphic here, but the moment I stopped bleeding, I thought, oh, I've got to go back to the gym. I've got to, you know, and so I, I went back to the gym and then I was like, whoop, nope, too early. And then the next week I was like, time to go back to the gym whoop, nope, too early. And and I would say, honestly, it took my body about three months to, to sort of normalise and to feel, to, to for me to physically feel like myself again. Yep. Um, emotionally and mentally, it, it, it took a lot longer. And that's because we don't realise that it, for our bodies to do what they do, um, making a baby, just what happens to us, the hormones, the everything like it does, it takes so long for us to not only physically heal, but mentally and emotionally, I think. Um, Oh gosh, what was I going to say there? There was so much. I was just sitting listening going, oh, the fact that when you say like you just, you couldn't find any information. Yeah. Like how do we fix this? Like honestly, like what, what is it? I mean, podcasts can't be the answer because that's not accessible by everyone. We Google it. It's not going to come yeah. up all the time. Is it our health professionals that need to give us more information? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it's a good question as well, because I think the thing is there's so, you know, we're in the information age and there's so much information on the internet, but when you're in that moment, you're distressed and you, you physically don't have the capacity and the capability to sit there scrolling through, you know, articles and articles um, trying to find the piece of information that's going to help you. I think we don't talk about it enough. I think it wasn't until I'd actually been through it that I and I started to share my story that I realized you know that it's common. I think that I think it's sort of one in four or one in five, but what we probably don't realize is how common it is amongst our peers to then even be able to go and um, sort of, I suppose, ask them or or lean on them as part of that process. But yeah, I'd, I'm not sure. And I don't, it, it's a, it's a great question because when it's happening, you need, you need the information and it needs to be easy and it needs to be accessible and um, relatable too. And like yeah, not in yeah. that, uh, you know, high end yeah, <laughs> health professional general. jargon that you've still got no idea what you've just read. Um, I just go like when I had my our fourth, um, so Oakley. So when you've just said, you know, you just thought you had to go to work, like you know, you just get on with things. Yeah, um, I remember when I was pregnant with Oakley, only early stages. Same thing had started um, spotting. I went yeah. to work. Because I thought, yeah. and I actually worked in Melbourne at the time, so a commute from Bendigo to Melbourne. I went to work and I thought, well, I'll just keep going, I suppose. I, I don't know. Is this normal? You know, you Google, yeah, yeah, you know, that's sort of normal. Anyway, I was sitting there at the desk that day and just, you know, 
I suppose try to work, but at the same time thinking, oh, I think this there might be something going on here. Um, and anyway, my executive director walked past and she said, how are you? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm okay. And she stood there and she goes, no, you're not. She goes, there's something not right with you today. What's wrong? There's something wrong. It must have been a sixth sense that she had. And again, I wasn't at my three month at all, um, you know, and I was on a contract and I was so worried to, to say anything. And I just said, I'm actually pregnant and I'm spotting. And um, she just says, okay, well, you're in the right place. We're in a hospital. Let's go down to ED now. Yeah. We'll take That's you down amazing. Now. Yep. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm just, it, and I just felt like it was too much for everyone. I felt really embarrassed yeah. that, you know, oh my gosh, here I am making, you know, everyone move their day. Obviously we had to, you know, people had to know what was happening. Um, but yeah, and, and we went, I went down to the emergency department, obviously called my husband. I, I couldn't get home that day. I'd missed my train. That was, that was a no show. So he obviously had to get himself to, to Melbourne to come get me. But um, yeah, they just spoke about it as a threatened miscarriage again I could not find any information on that do you know what's interesting as well um is that when I had first started spotting so I started bleeding on the day of the media training and um I went from spotting to bleeding and so when I was googling you know bleeding I had a really strong confirmation bias so all I could find was information about threatened miscarriage because all I was looking for was those positive stories where someone had started um, to spot or bleed and, um, you know, it was a good outcome. So, But it, it is incredibly difficult to find the it right is. information at the right time. <laughs> so it's interesting since it happened because we've had a lot of friends that have sort of said to us as well, if you're trying, just tell us, just let us know, you know, like let's myth bust this three-month kind of rule because people need support through the entire process not just after that three months and so I think it's about breaking that stigma of when we can start talking about pregnancy and or when is a safe time to start talking about pregnancy because there's so much that happens before that three month or that 12 week safe safe period um as well so I was just that is the best advice ever, I think, Nikki. Like I'm just the, the first three months are actually the hardest. Yeah. Especially if you're a new parent. You have no idea what's going on with your yeah. body. No. Yeah. And and then here we are, we're not allowed to talk to anyone about it. Yeah. Like it's yeah. Oh my gosh. Um uh, it's so interesting that we're actually talking about this topic. And then the podcast that I actually recorded before you, we were having the same, like these really courageous conversations and um I know that they don't directly have anything to do with business, but I think they impact business because personal and business overlap so closely. Um, So what now feels like a really big gear change back into business, um, I I still think there there are powerful reasons or there is some really good stuff that comes out from sharing this. I know that there'll be someone listening that will relate to it or maybe there might be someone that's trying for family and then think, well, actually, maybe I should tell people before that three-month mark. I don't know. Maybe this is how it starts, Nikki, is by just one or two of us chatting, someone else listening, and then, you know, off it goes and it's all tentacles go out. Yep. 
Let's talk about your business because it is incredible. It is called Grown Not Flown. Tell everyone, what was the catalyst to actually starting Grown Not Flown? Yeah, so Grow Not Flown is uh, an online platform, an app that's helping to connect flower farmers and consumers across the globe. We've gone global, which was oh very, very exciting. Um, but we, so we're relatively new flower farmers. I am someone that um, is a huge believer in sort of uh, collecting data or knowing your data so that you can make data-driven decisions and um, finding efficiencies and, and improving how you do things sort of day by day, month by month, year by year. Um, and so being relatively new flower farmers, um, we there were lots of there was there were lots of what I would consider to have been sort of I guess pain points and gaps um, that when I actually started looking for technologies uh, or platforms to be able to support, there just there really wasn't anything available. And so, if I sorry if I take a step back, there's probably there's probably a few things that kind of happened be- before then as well. But it was um, so there's two farms that sit behind Grow Not Flown. It's Duck Duck Pig, which is um, the, my family's farm. So my sister, myself, and my partner Sam, we succession planned and took over our family farm about three, four years ago. And um, what has traditionally been what I would call a, a sort of a hobby farm with beef, beef cattle, we are transitioning it into a truffle and cut flower farm. But our co-founder, so the other farm behind uh, Grow Not Flown, is Nawari Flower Farm, and that is my cousin. Jade and her husband Hayden. Uh, Jade and Hayden refer to themselves as the accidental flower farmers. The reason being is that they purchased a farm, um, had no idea it had this cut flower, this uh, established, long-term established cut flower farm on it. And they were actually only days away from bulldozing their flower patch when they noticed that they were flowering and decided to get a consultant in. Um, needless to say, it the you know it was a really um, I'm going to say profitable business, or there was there was the opportunity for it to be a profitable business. Um, it had been in the past, and so with a little bit of love and a lot of work, they they brought the flower patch back to its former glory and have been planting ever since. But as part of their journey as well, they were the ones that then convinced us to move into flower farming because the perennial wildflowers. So we have things and natives. So we have things like. Proteas, leucodendrons, leucospernums, which are the pin cushions, um, banksias, those sorts of things. And uh, they like the same soil as the truffles. And so we knew that they would likely do well on our farm. And so we did a trial patch and we've been planting ever since. So Jade as um, Jade and Hayden as relatively new flower farmers, but with an established business meant that they needed to find uh, ways to distribute their or you know, buyers for their produce. Um, for us, we were newly coming into the market. We were going to have, and um, we still, we will in some capacity, but it's the, the chicken and egg um, conundrum around, do you start to, you know, market your business with the possibility of not having enough produce to be able to supply or do you wait until you've got the supply and then start marketing your business and knowing that you may have some level of waste? 
Um, so that was one of the pain points that we were facing for Jade and Hayden being already sort of established. They had, there was three different things that sort of occurred. They were getting requests for King Proteas uh, in February, which is out of season. They had somebody contact them that was visiting the region and wanted to see if they could come to their farm and if they knew of any other farms in the region that they would be um, able to assist with. And then, and and then they also had someone um, just looking to help them, yeah, connect, scan the area and connect with other flower farms as well. And so what we realised that there was no aggregated view for the flower farming community within Australia to easily be able to find or to leverage the other growers within the industry um, to, to learn from and to um, yeah, to learn and support and, and to grow and create that level of community. A lot of flower farmers, uh, with, they have an online presence or a social media presence and a lot of um, new farmers or what we found was a lot of the uh, new flower farmers that were coming in were having the same challenges that we were having was that because of the reliability, I suppose, of produce or the how many, what the, the volumes that you were going to have, there wasn't anything sort of really available to help you kind of ease into the ease into the industry. And so we wanted to help solve that. Oh my gosh. It, all that background to actually how you've created Grow Not Flown is incredible. To be able to take that bird's eye view and, and then say, actually, we've got, we've got something that could solve not just one problem, but so many. Yeah really, really smart. Um, so Grow Not Flown is an app, right? Yeah, it's an online platform and app. So we have, you can log in via your PC, The web, there's a website www.grown-not-flown.com um, and you can go in there and we've got an interactive world map so that you can go in and you can search and you can do keyword searches or different filters um, by location. So think Google Maps, each time there's a little marker it, um, it shows where the different flower farmers are. So we launched in July last year. Um, we've been really pleasantly surprised at how much the platform has grown considering it's all been organic growth. We really only have a social media presence. We haven't done any formal marketing. Um, we have had some sponsored posts on Instagram and those sorts of things, but currently we have over 2,600 users. We have users in over 25 countries and we've got uh, almost six, well, we've got over 665 flower farms listed on our global map as well. Oh my gosh. And that is in what's, we're not 14 even months. Oh no, we've, yeah. I was going to say we've passed July. Yeah. Just, yeah. Oh my gosh. Me and my dates and my geography <laughs> and like I sometimes think, my God, what am I good at here? I, it just all goes out the door. Um, yeah, that's just over twelve months. That's yeah, that's huge. Like for a business, that's massive. Yeah, and we it, we've been really shocked to be honest. And what we didn't realize was that our problem would transcend you know, borders and that mm, um, yep. that it really is a borderless problem that there are, you know, people are facing these same ch same challenges that we're facing, um, you know, in North America, in the UK, in Europe uh, as well. And, um, and so part of when creating Grow Not Flown is that we wanted it to be accessible 
uh, we wanted to, the, the long-term goal is that we will allow growers to be able to collect and collate their own farm data so that we can also then aggregate that at an industry level and help, you know, feed those insights back into the industry to strengthen it overall as well. But it's um it's baby steps for us. You know, we, we've only, we've got our MVP, which is currently out at the moment. We've started to make small iterations, but as a self-funded startup, it means that things are slow. Yeah, um, yep. And the app itself, like to actually list on there is free. Yes. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I have to ask, how do you make the money? Yeah, so we don't yeah. make any money. We're pre-revenue at the moment. So um, we don't have any, everything has been sort of out of pocket for us to date. We see that in the future we'll we'll switch on transactions. Uh, well, we're in testing at the moment for transactions and for a marketplace and we'll look to take a little sliver to help cover the costs of the run and maintenance of the platform. And then in the future, when we start to build out those backend functionalities, um, we'll look to set up some sort of subscription model as well so that, uh, and, and again, we want to keep it really accessible and really affordable. One of the challenges that I had for our own farm was that majority of the technologies are being built for uh, commercial or wholesale growers, not for these micro and small scale growers that we would consider ourselves to be. And so that's who we want to help and we want to help bridge that gap and um, and help, you know, help those micro small scale growers to to own their own data and to be able to improve, you know, increase their own profitability by understanding their seed to stem value, you know, as well. But it takes time only because, you know, we're, we're at a stage now though where we are starting to look for investors because we see the potential um, of what this can do for the industry as a whole. And um, and so we're hoping that we'll be able to get some investors on board and we'll be able to scale and, and grow the different features. But we, w- we want to remove uh, our long-term goal at Grow Not Flown is to remove the need for micro and small-scale growers to have to build their own websites to learn search engine optimization because everything will be in the one spot so that they don't have to pay for accounting software so that they can send, you know, they can have an online order form e-invoices that everything is within, it's it's a, essentially a one-stop shop for micro and small-scale growers. Yeah. This is why you were a Vic State finalist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your big vision I just, I admire so much. Um, oh gosh, I can't even look outside, you know, the, the year that we're in, um, let alone, yeah, scale something that big. Um, it, I think that what I love though um, in the last few years is there has been this more of a sustainable um, slow flower movement yeah. and hopefully more, more brides especially uh, realising um, how important it is to actually purchase flowers that are seasonal yeah is that Uh, right yeah there's it's been really interesting as well because off the back of COVID um, a lot of the imports were significantly reduced and so it really drove a lot of awareness around locally grown produce and probably one of the things that I always like to cover off is that we're not against imports you know imports serve an important role within the supply chain for flowers within Australia consumers vote with their feet there's always going to be um, price conscious or there's you know consumers who 
and people that just don't care, you know, as well. And that's okay because different people have different values and, and you, you know, but what we do want to do is we want to make flowers accessible and we want to make them, um, we want to promote them and, you know, being able to search source and connect with your local grower or purchase from your local grower, that's what we want to help makes as seamless as possible so you know prior to grow not flown if if there was a DIY bride that was looking for seasonal flowers they would have had to sort of really go through um do, you know they would have had their work cut out for them oh, searching absolutely. Yeah, yeah social media mostly for the different growers and then seeing what they had available we would like to in the future as well and one of the we would like to sort of utilize um machine learning or AI in the future so that if somebody is searching for something that is out of season, it'll say, hey, this is out of season, but this other flower has these really similar characteristics and have you thought about this instead of those? Um, but again, long, long-term long term plans for where we'd like to get uh, the, the, the app and the platform to in the future. But it is, it, it has been... Um, there has definitely been a shift. I think COVID raised a lot of awareness. There's also a huge amount of, um, there's been a lot of media around imports and the biosecurity and health concerns around flowers coming into Australia. And I know it was something that I spoke about when we did the media training as well, was that a lot of people don't realise that the flowers coming into Australia, in order for them to be able to come in, they've got to be dipped in a chemical compound um, around from Roundup, and so a lot of the time they're coming, they're coming in, and then sitting on you know supermarket floors, or um, and then we're putting them on our kitchen tables, and where we wouldn't normally have, we we wouldn't we wouldn't ever put a container or a chemical you know openly sitting on our table. We are then you know putting our noses in and sniffing essentially these these really harsh chemicals. But then people don't know it, isn't it? It's all about that education piece. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, so I was looking at your socials and your partner, Sam, uh, he was holding like a bunch of your <laughs> first, I don't know what were you. Uh, um, first mixed first, bunch. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like how exciting was that? Yeah. It was incredible actually. We we harvested our first flowers this year as part of as part of uh, a Mother's Day build your own build a bouquet um, stall that they had in a school. So someone reached out to us and asked if we were able to help with seconds um, stems because it was a low budget um, affair. And yeah, so we actually harvested our first stems, but they were all foliage. So that particular bunch was our first ever mixed flower bunch <laughs> with some of our proteas as well, which was very oh exciting. Well, then I got stuck down a little rabbit warren and started looking at some other social um, posts. And look, it might've been on Duck Duck Pig or I don't know if Sam's got a personal one, but um, he actually has I don't laugh at captions very often. I just have to preface this. Like I don't know where my funny stick is. I, I'm not good at comedies, but I love his captions. Yeah. It's really funny. It's really funny. It's on it's on Duck Duck Pig. Yeah. If anybody if anybody wants to go and go down a little bit of a rabbit hole with he he is very good. Um he, he always, I think he always pushes the boundaries of what's appropriate and not appropriate, but somehow gets away with it. 
Yeah, yeah. Now, um, I was reading one. It did. They're just little things like you know, he's he's driving in the buggy with the three dogs, large, medium, and small. Like they're just really quirky little things like that. And it, it's because we don't read captions like that all the time. And I think yeah. that's it's that really fresh um, writing style, that fresh branding, storytelling. Call it what you will. I'm like, I love this. This is good. <laughs> yeah. So you'll have to, um, yeah, let him know that. Yeah. Open yeah, I'll pass it on. <laughs> He'll, he he loves hearing it. He gets quite a few DMs <laughs> of appreciation for his different posts as well. Good on him. Good on him. <laughs> now tell me, um, transferable skills. Like, what have you done beforehand? So before launching, um, grown not flown and and working duck duck pig. What have you done beforehand that you've been able to bring over uh, to those those businesses? Yeah, so my background is in largely in financial services, and I feel like I've worn yeah that a fits lot with of flowers really well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've worn a lot of different hats within over the years as well, and probably in the last few years in particular, I've worked in projects. Do you know I am a big believer. Everybody has transferable skills. It's just the story we tell ourselves. And I got really caught up in this a few years ago when I was trying to sort of um, move out of, I was working in private wealth and I was trying to move out into, I didn't know what I wanted to do, to be honest. And I landed in projects and I really enjoyed that space as well. Um, I work in digital product development now, which, but I have to say that came after grown not flown so it actually just kind of fit perfectly but when I was trying to change industries I actually worked with a coach on teaching me how to change my language or adapt the language to be transferable to other areas and as part of that process it it helped me to realize that where I thought that I'd been pigeonholed I really hadn't I really you know everyday stakeholder management, portfolio management, you know, the the level of attention to detail required from a regulatory, but also, I mean, an investment portfolio perspective is, they're the same skills that you use in it, in anything. And, and a large portion of what we do is communication and learning how to communicate with people and, and work with people. And, um, and I think, I think we tend to pigeonhole ourselves and so sometimes it is having that that external um, person come in and, and just help us to to change our language and, and realise the value that we bring. So if, if anybody is ever concerned that they don't have transferable skills, I would highly encourage finding someone who is a um, – who is a coach or specialises in sort of the transitioning of industries or or sort of jobs and to, to sort of help you with that because um, for me it it did wonders it and it and it helped me realise also the value that I that I had to bring wow. to the table. I'm thinking like even what we've gone through the last few years like that would be such an in demand job at the moment. I think so many people taking that time to realize that what they do maybe doesn't light them up or they're ready for a career change or a new challenge. Yeah. Um and to have someone come in like that and say, "Well, actually, yeah, this is where your skills transfer or this is how to better articulate what you do because you're right. We just oh, I don't know, um admin like yeah. it's such reception. I think they're both the most underrated jobs. I think if you yeah. ever want to know anything in an organization, it's always the receptionist. She knows yeah. everything, absolutely everything. 
I agree completely. And we tend to undervalue frontline staff members. Oh, I don't do. know why. They have such an incredible skill set. They are multitasking. They are able to handle, you know, conflict, confrontation. They're able to calm waters, you know, uh, people management, all and do of it with different... a smile on their yeah. face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Usually they're running, you know, they're essentially running businesses whilst doing, when I say running business, running, you know, they're, in, they're the heartbeat of a business. And they we are. just, we tend to not give them the credit that they, they that deserve. they deserve. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I've actually got one more really big courageous conversation that I want to have with you. Um, and it actually stems off the back of, of the word networking because, and if you don't mind me saying, something that I'd noticed was that the networking part of the AgriFutures um, gala and, and, and everything that's involved with it, it was that networking part that, you know, looked really hard for you. Like you just yeah. weren't comfortable um, no. <laughs> and no one ever is. Don't get me wrong. None of us go in there and going, yes, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think more so for you, you're just like, oh gosh, <laughs> I don't It is know. not my natural state and it is it not isn't. my, yeah, it is, it is not something that I am very good at. I, I know I sort of, I've been very good at the years and I think we spoke about it earlier, but I would have, in a pre-COVID world, I would have described myself as an ambivert that was able to flex into extrovert um, quite easily. In a post-COVID world, uh, I am 100% introverted. <laughs> so um, I was very good at masking. I think a lot of the the traits that were, you know, or masking the way that I was feeling to sort of be able to go out and present in an extroverted way in a lot of, um, you know, social, social situations, or maybe using things like alcohol as a crutch, you know, have a couple of wines, loosen up a little. But um, in today's world, I am trying to sort of bring my whole self and embrace my awkwardness in those situations but yeah networking I find it really really challenging it's it's not my natural state I'm someone that has a preference for I'd much rather sort of an intimate conversation um I think we, we sort of touched on it earlier as well I only um sort of realized this year that I'm or I, I did some sort of testing and um neurodivergent and I have a lot of sensory stuff that seems to have been really sort of come out as a result at, at, during that COVID period as well. And I guess maybe because I wasn't having to show up in an office every day and um, I was probably able to kind of let that guard down and sort of relax and realise sort of who I am. Um, but part of that means that I do, yeah, I do, I really struggle in um, in big groups of people uh, where I don't know anybody um, I'm definitely not comfortable just walking up and introducing myself and having a conversation. I would much rather small, quiet, intimate spaces. Yeah, yep. And when we think about Canberra, um, it was 540 people in a yeah. room, like yeah. in a black tie situation <laughs> uh, with an expectation on finalists and alumni that you network. There's yeah. some really big names in that room and you need to get out there and start having conversations. Like yeah. I couldn't think of more of a oh my God situation. <laughs> 
than than that. Um, so you just mentioned that you know you sort of have discovered that you're neurodivergent. So what have you learned about yourself through that? Yeah, I think it's been a really interesting journey and I, and there's so much more awareness around it now as well. But one of the things especially has been that I've been able to reflect on myself as a, you know, as a young child and constantly getting in trouble for asking too many questions or needing to understand whole information in order to be able to process um, the information that was being provided or the task that was being asked of me. Um, And it's meant that I've been able to sort of better understand what success looks like for me and what I need to sort of enable success for myself. And it is, it does mean at the end of the day, I spend my days, I still work full time on top of Grow Not Flown and Duck Duck Pig. Um, and I spend the majority of my day in meetings. And so at the end of the day, it's going and taking 30 minutes or an hour of silence, no conversation, just really decompressing and, um, Take, taking the time that I need to then be a, a better person. I also had a lot of trouble with sleeping. So once I hone in on a sound, I can't unhear it. And it means that I've had a lot of trouble over the years with sleeping. Um, I bought some sleep pods, which some both both uh, sleep pods, and they have been invaluable. Um yeah, just and it's and it's just and the same thing as buying a really good pair of headsets so that when I'm feeling a certain kind of way, um, I am learning how to calm myself and and how to work with myself rather than constantly being in conflict with with doing what I think I should be doing or what people think is acceptable of me versus what I need to do to just make sure that I'm safe and that I'm that I'm going to be able to function. And so part of that is um, I also just recently, I just had a birthday. My partner got me a Nintendo Switch for, and so I, I just, I disappear into Mario. I love playing, it. Yeah. Playing, um, it. playing games on my Nintendo, but they're the things that I need to be able to um, disconnect and just come back into myself before I can then show up and be the best version of myself for other people. Yeah. Yep. Isn't it? Um, I think when we're younger, we sort of look at people that are that bit older, even those that are in early thirties and and upwards. And we think, geez, they must have everything figured out. You know, how good it'd be to be that age and just know who you are. And I think at 40, like even I'm constantly working on myself and figuring out why I do what I do sometimes Yes, and why I've done. Yeah. Just finding out patterns and yeah. yeah. It's so incredible, isn't it? Like that we're just learning. Because how old are you? I'm 30. I just turned 37. 38. Oh, my goodness. I don't even remember I'll my stick own to 37. Age. Hold on yeah. that for a little. <laughs> <laughs> you're in your mid-30s until you're 40 and then well, you're 40 for at least 10 years. <laughs> I also feel like the last two and a half years don't count because of COVID. No. So <laughs> no. But isn't but, it incredible that you, yeah. you're learning this about yourself? And like, have you shared it with your parents? Yeah. And you know, it, it's been really interesting as well, because one of the things that I've learned, and I, I like really direct conversation and I like really direct information and I don't particularly like small talk. I don't do well with small talk. I, um, and, and those sorts of things that I was saying as well, I've always thought that I had a higher tolerance for conflict, but actually 
where um where I thought we were just having a conversation it can come like for me it's just a conversation but for somebody else it can come across that I'm being sort of quite combative or that we're in an argument (laughs) and I was having a conversation with my um my parents and my my dad said to me he goes well now that you know can't you just change how you how you speak to us sometimes and I was like well (laughs) yes but can't you just appreciate that I'm it's it's coming with love and good intent that, that, that there's no that I'm actually not trying to be um yeah combative or, yeah yeah, difficult, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just you know clear as kind in my mind and I'm just being clear <laughs> oh gosh Wow. And, um, did they mention like that, that it makes sense to them maybe looking back on your childhood or I think so. I think we've had a couple of big conversations around this because f- when I was a when I was a kid in particular, I'd never really felt like I fit in anywhere and I didn't really I, you know, I was always kind of called the weird kid or um was just really f- feeling like I was out of place and and I and I recognize now that my brain doesn't work the same way as other people's. I tend to I, one of one what I call now my superpower is that I can always pick up on patterns and I can always pick up on cycles really, really quickly. And so in business, it's always helped me because I've always been good at that continuous improvement or business process improvement because I can see a problem and I can immediately see the the issue and how it can be fixed in a really simple way or where there is a cycle. I always know what's about to come next because I've recognized it and I've and I've been able, you know, I've been watching it for for sort of years um and so we've we've had a couple of big conversations around sort of some of the challenges I had when I was a kid in in sort of um not not fitting in and um and perhaps and there wasn't a lot of awareness or information around it when I was younger but I think it certainly has helped me heal and I think probably reflect retrospectively and reflective reflecting back on it it's probably helped them maybe sort of understand why I didn't have a lot of friends or why I wasn't invited to a lot of um, birthday parties or um, why I needed a lot of time by myself or why I didn't want to do certain things as well so that 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 perhaps was different to my sisters who were both probably quite social oh wow um this podcast definitely went different to what I thought it was um (laughs) in the best possible way my gosh what an emotional day for me um (laughs) (laughs) uh thank you for sharing all that I, I really do appreciate it and as you said it's about a better understanding and when people talk about their experiences someone listening or reading or watching can reflect back on that in their own life so I know for me today Nikki like I'll be thinking about this and and thinking about my own kids and you know and looking up more about neurodivergence and what is it what does that mean and and how can I help people or what can I do to make things easier? And even just with yourself, like just realizing that, that that's, that's how you feel in big crowded situations and yeah, helping you out in that. Yeah. Um, I've got one, I've got two more questions actually. Um, and I, I'm really conscious of taking up all your time, but I really would love to know what excites you about the future of Grown Not Flown? 
Yes, it's a good question. I am very excited about the future of Grown Up Load. I have big energy when it comes to this conversation that also that big energy can also be be perceived as aggression, but it's not. It's just excitement and, and big energy. Just um, again, probably just women being too big, too big, too much. Um, I am such a data geek. I am really excited about the potential that we have to be able to transform the industry and to be able to help growers to become more profitable and um, and just and just overall the general health of the the future of flowers as well. And I think that the you know within Australia especially the majority of the growers are micro and small scale growers you know most sort of and most growers will only grow on a quarter of an acre and I think that for a long time they've been the forgotten um, the forgotten cousin of the produce or agriculture sort of environment and I think they bring so much to the table figuratively and literally with flowers but and I just and I think that there's such an opportunity for us to be able to showcase and promote and support. Um, but but more than anything, I want, you know, I want those analytical insights to be able to just help strengthen the industry as a whole and and really help the micro and small scale growers to to be competitive and to feel like they've got a voice and to feel heard by an industry that that feels like it's almost been forgotten, especially with some of the, you know, the, the big player voices that that tend to sort of dominate the the news headlines with their own agendas. Yeah. You are doing such an incredible job. And as you said, you you're doing it for those grassroots farmers, the small guys that don't have a voice. And um I think they're the most important people. Um, yeah, me too. Who we need to be looking after. My final question that I always ask to wrap us up is, can you tell me about a friend of yours that we all need to know about? Oh, yes, this is a good one. And I thought about this a lot. So someone that really helped us early on in our flower farming journey was Rebecca Noble, who does the Dish the Dirt podcast. So telling Australian farmers stories. Um, So Beck is an incredible advocate and voice for the flower farming community as well. But she also uh, reached out to us and offered us her platform to introduce Grow Not Flown, the farms behind it. So each, all of us, you know, Jade, myself, Hayden, Sam, um, and we actually soft launched through her Dish the Dirt, the Dish the Dirt podcast as well. So she's been, yeah, an incredible advocate and supporter um, throughout. And if you haven't, I highly recommend going and listening to her podcast also. Oh, add it to the playlist. Um, there's never enough uh, podcasts to listen to, uh, especially um, when we talk about female voices as hosts. So just a fun little fact. Um, there's only about 20% of voices on obviously a um, podcast platform that are female in terms of the hosts, which um, is tiny, like really, yeah. really small. Well, I just want to thank you for sharing your story um, because, as you said, I think more people that talk about it, it can only help uh, one another. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Now, before you take off with all that inspiration and knowledge, we'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast so that we can continue to amplify women's voices in the media. And if you have any questions, we'd like to celebrate a win. 
can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Oak Magazine AU. I'm so glad we've met and that now you know a friend of mine. <laughs>